Hey, watch listeners, be sure to check out Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne is back. Join Matt Damon for the next chapter in Universal Pictures' Bourne franchise, which finds the CIA's lethal former operative drawn out of the shadows. Get it on 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray with DTSX Sound today, rated PG-13. Wanted to thank American Express. American Express card members, you do not want to miss this. Now, through December 31st, there is a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood. Learn more and enroll your eligible card today at AmericanExpress.com slash ShopSmallOffer. That's AmericanExpress.com slash ShopSmallOffer. Terms apply. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, his cape never hits the water. It's Andy Greenwald! They don't make breathable fabrics like that in space, man. Andy, we're so close to Rogue One, bro. I'm excited. Do you know Do you know that it's a Star Wars story? I know you thought that was a piece of original IP, but I got to tell you, it's not. It's I was a Star Wars story. As a charity thing, like we should do a... Um, What's seven times 24, Zach? It's like a hunt. It's a lot, lot of hours. I was going to say we should do like a seven 96. day, 96 hour podcast about Star Wars leading up to Rogue One. <laughs> just just to, to get to get people excited for it or to completely to, exhaust them and turn I mean, them off for it. charity, right? Like it would be like a walkathon, but it would be a talkathon about, about Star Wars. Do you uh, think we could like, how, I don't think I could make it past hour four. I got to be honest with you. I like, mean, I could probably get six hours out of just ranking every single Star Wars character. I probably wow. could get a couple hours out of arguing about a couple things. The point is that Star Wars is a rich text. They're making more movies about it. We're talking about Rogue One. This is kind of like your Rogue, Rogue One prep course uh, before yes. the movie premieres next week. Just as a little bit of housekeeping, today we're doing Rogue One and we are doing Shut Up and Dance, the Black Mirror episode. I know everybody has been annoyed that uh, we started and then stopped our recap session with that. That's, that's our on me. That's on Andy. Uh, and here's the plan for next week. On Monday, we are doing the year in music. Okay, we're going to probably have mm-hmm. Lindsay Zolotz from The Ringer joining us on the phone. We're going to be doing our top tens then. And then Thursday, we have a very special year in television episode, but I don't know with if it's a, going up Thursday, but it will be with a special yes, guest. We have a special guest for that. We're not going to announce now, but we're excited. And we'll probably have some other year-end stuff going on. We're going to really try to get uh, a Rogue One pod, the you know not next not this coming Monday, but the following Monday. So there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. Uh, before we get to Black Mirror, though, let's talk about Rogue One. Andy, I have like a thing I wanted to say about this. First of all, I love it when you have things, yeah, especially ones you want to say. Hit me. It's easy to look at this. This movie is going to make money no matter what. And I think mm-hmm. that after with Force Awakens and there was such a long build up to it and it came out and people were like, that was pretty good. And it was just like whether it was good or not, as long as it wasn't really bad, I think that it was within the realm of accepted results. But I think mm-hmm. that it's worth noting that there actually are some stakes involved with Rogue One. And I, I don't even know if you can oh. really determine them whether or not. I, you know, I'm sure this movie is going to make quite a bit of money, probably not as much money as Force Awakens, although I don't really think that there's a lot else to do this December than see this movie. So if it's, a, if it's pretty good, I can imagine most walking people seeing it. But in terms of like what's at, what's at stake here, which is you know a relative term, I actually do think there is a lot because they've what, what Lucasfilm has done here and what Disney has done by 
picking out a guy like Gareth Edwards to direct a film, choosing a story mm-hmm. like Rogue One, which is a little bit darker, a little bit grittier, a little bit more off the beaten path than the typical Star Wars saga, the, the Skywalker saga films that we are accustomed to. And then actually, even in the Hollywood sort of behind the scenes stuff that happened with the movie, choosing someone like Tony Gilroy to be the closer on this movie and, and rumored to have come in, done some rewrites, done some reshoots, worked on the, on the final mm-hmm. product. If this works, that's really good for movies, I think, because it shows that within the, t- within the tent of these IP blockbusters, you can do creative, interesting stuff. And if it doesn't, and they're like, you know what? People just aren't willing to accept anything in this movie, in this, in this franchise and in this universe, other than what they are already accustomed to. Then that's really bad. Because right now, you kind of have to accept the fact that these are the kind of movies that get made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are the kind of movies that get these kinds of budgets, that get these kinds of marketing pushes, that draw this kind of talent to them. And if they're going to be really boring... And if they're going to be really safe, which, to be completely frank, I find the Marvel movies have sort of established themselves in that space where it's like, basically, like, you guys can act like Iron Man and Captain America punching each other is the Godfather, too. But it's it's really not. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot at stake there. There's not a lot of consequences in those movies. And I'm not saying that there are going to be in, in Rogue One. But I do think it's going to be very interesting to see how this is received, because I do think that this is a different kind of blockbuster IP experiment. I think in the broad strokes, you are right. And I agree with you. I think that you are expressing a viewpoint that I admire. And I think is at its core, more optimistic than I am. That's very nice. Because well, I, well, I think reaching across the aisle. I'm trying to, this is a time for comedy. It's time for not comedy, but comedy with a T. Um, We've, we've been at each other's throats for too long in this country in this year. I think that um, in a vacuum, uh, without knowing all the stuff that had gone on behind the scenes, I think that your reading would be 100% not just the right reading, but the only reading. What makes me concerned is not just the generally stultifying groupthink and you know accountant-minded business practices that fuel the movie studios, and which is to say blockbuster movies because they're interchangeable at this point, but also what the facts on the ground the the tauntaun feet in in the snow of hoth in this case because let's run it back for a second and remember that up to a certain point as far as we were concerned this movie the first official star wars sort of spin-off or standalone film was doing absolutely everything right and to be clear on what i mean by that i mean they chose a unrelated story but a very very cool thus far uh, unexplored story, which is stealing the plans for the Death Star that sets up the actions in episode four, A New Hope. Like that is a, you talk about rich text, like that is a great thread to pull because that, you know, had to have happened for the movies that we know and love to have happened, but no one's ever considered it. And then furthermore, to be like, we have the main thread of these new trilogies, so we're going to go off and do different genre films and give filmmakers a chance to flex, perhaps directly in opposition to the way the other major tentpole factories like Marvel operate. You know, Marvel, the movies are a little bit different, but essentially they're all exactly the same. Um, and then I'm going to take you back to a time that we actually commemorated in a podcast. The first trailer for Rogue One, which I watched again recently, yeah. which dropped 
when it, when did it just drop in the spring that was um, uh, right around when we started doing the watch i think wasn't it wasn't it last uh, fall well well no that's before force awakens so it had to have come after that but okay, it was so it was definitely it, i think it, it was before throne so it was in the spring yes it was in the spring and I rewatched it in preparation for this podcast because I felt like I should do something to prepare for our podcast. And I think that it remains maybe my favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> Just the two-minute trailer. <laughs> it is everything I have ever wanted in a Star Wars movie. And what is so exciting about it in that moment was I had this vision, much like your, your optimistic vision that you just laid out. I did for a minute believe that what we most hoped would happen with this franchise was going to come true, which is to say that Disney understood that, as you said, Star Wars movies are going to make crazy uh, IMF money regardless. Like, that is just a given. That Christine Legrand Especially money. because... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Especially because uh, they had chosen exactly the right steward for the main spine of their stories in J.J. Abrams. And I don't even mean that as a compliment. I mean, it, I mean it just as a point of fact, like he is the most responsible steward of major IP that probably exists in this world. And he made a movie that, you know, the further we get from it, the more I, it rankles me a little bit that it kind of hits every beat for everyone. It is as close to a universal and universally designed movie as one could ever imagine with all the flaws that entails. But it pleased everyone. Literally everyone on planet Earth was the lowest they thought of it was that it was fine or derivative and it made a billion dollars or more, right? I thought that bought them a lot more wiggle room and a lot more goodwill, but it seems to be the case that the, the opposite thing happened, which was the accountants were like, oh, Star Wars doesn't just equal guaranteed money and we can play with some of that money. It guarantees the most money. And that was the time when that first trailer where Felicity Jones says, this is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel, led to the last trailer where she's like, rebellions are based on hope. And yes, everybody's like, Darth I'm Vader. with you. We got this. And it's like, they actually definitively don't got this. Because if you remember <laughs> in A New Hope, their fates are written. Now, I, I mean, some of them, I, I think whatever the, the, the line is where it's like many... Many Bothans died to bring us this information. That doesn't mean all. But but it's, it's, it's not going to be a bright and happy movie unless they kind of betray the, the internal history of the franchise. But but so I exactly and so I, but it's weird. I mean, obviously we're having this conversation about a movie we haven't seen, which is ridiculous. Except in the fact that with Star Wars, I think you can spend a lot of time—not maybe ninety-six hours—but you can spend a lot of time talking around the thing itself. It's it sounds like I'm talking myself out of it. I I still couldn't be more excited for this movie because of the talent involved, because of that cast, because of the way it looked, and because Disney pulled this crazy rope a dope where they essentially removed the director that made the film or made most of it in gareth edwards and have, they have not been shy about yeah more so or i less just read a gareth edwards interview this. in the la times where i, I was it probably at some sort of junket and he was pretty articulate about you know why he wanted to do the movie in the first place and how he had really pitched this movie as if you're going to do this story it needs to be done this way and mm -hmm. then when it came to the reshoot stuff he was like you know look we had our our effects shots went from 600 to 1700 and why would you not try to improve the product if you could? But when he was asked directly about Tony Gilroy, he d didn't dodge it, but he didn't answer the question. So he just said something else. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, if Tony Gilroy was not involved, that would have been a perfect opportunity for him to say, like, actually, that was completely overblown. Tony came in and made, did some consulting that was or some rewrites. That was it.
Um, I'm, I'm still a little bit confused about who benefits from this information being out there. I guess Tony Gilroy's yes. agent, <laughs> who's already yeah. sitting on that British Virgin Islands type bank account <laughs> because he got his man's five mil for just cleaning up this movie. I don't know either, and it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that has always interested me about Hollywood is the stuff that no everyone knows but no one is allowed to talk about. And it kind of frustrated me when I was a TV critic, too, because there were certain things that either you heard or you had said to you, but it was always off the record, or it was just in a direction that you couldn't write. Because if you wrote the story, you would offend so many people, you wouldn't be able to write another story, basically. And to to, to talk to give you an example of what I'm talking about, Chris, I know you were heartbroken the other day when Amazon announced that it was canceling Good Girls Revolt, its show about um, uh, 1960s period show about uh, young women journalists and, and, and our girl Grace Gummer played Nora Ephron. I know you were crushed because mm-hmm. you love Good Girls, but you love revolution. This is a revolt, isn't it? I revolt. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was very odd because the whole point of these streaming services is like you know, they, they green light you and then they just add to their con- add you to their content library and they don't tell anyone about your ratings because they don't care. That's not what they're doing. And so they did all this promotion for the first season of the show that they seem to be completely behind. And then six weeks after they put the whole season, they say, nah, and they pull the plug on it. Right. And this is actually after cutting the off- Girls Revolt uh, producers and, and they, had, they had cited some Symphony AM and Symphony's this kind of odd yes. company that, that does tracking of streaming numbers and... Um, the producers of Good, Girl, Good Girls Revolt were like, we actually had like the highest redirect yes. to Amazon's commerce site, you know, which, like, which is just well, hilarious. Like, welcome to 2016. But also, if you're going to be doing something on what is basically a, sh- a shopping mall, you should get po- credit for redirecting people to vacuum well, cleaners. This, this is exactly what I'm talking about because this, so then it got canceled and people were shocked. It just was just not like what Amazon doesn't do, does just doesn't do that. And it, even if they weren't going to order a second season, why make a big deal and publicly announce it? So I don't know why they did that. But what's truly crazy is then the next day or so there was a the, the sh- one of the showrunners was just like basically saying like we thought we were doing well, we were very excited about the show. And then when asked directly, do you have anything to say about Amazon? She said absolutely not. We loved working with Amazon. Cancellations happen. Then yesterday in the Hollywood Reporter, the creator of the show wilds out. Yeah, I saw that. She is Jin Aso, okay, <laughs> with like a fireball whiskey in her flask and uh, Diego Luna and a six shooter by her side, where she is basically like, these dudes like to sell widgets and they don't know what they're doing and no one told us anything. And it is so refreshing and fascinating. Not that I agree with her about Amazon. I don't know any of those people involved, but no one talks about that stuff. Well, she actually and, made it also sound a little bit more... Like a traditional studio where she was like, if you don't get Roy Price's seal of approval, the guy who runs right. Amazon Studios, you're just you're screwed because he was just like I, they said they were they were planning out season two and trying to explain it yes. to him. And he was like, use the actors names. I don't know any of the names of the characters, which is like fair <laughs> enough. But that's like that is definitely like Michael Gambon in uh, in in Barton Fink. Like, sure, sure. You know, it's a, it's or, a boxing or, picture. Or, or any of our parents talking about Game of Thrones. Yeah, but, right. But, but, but also in that article, just as a side note, the, the, the head of drama moved to a different position. And so the head of comedy took over his job as head of drama. And the first thing he apparently asked them to do was see if they could redo Girls, Good Girls Revolt as a comedy for season two. Interesting. It's just, I, I love this stuff. Anyway, that was a, that was a detour. But um, 
quite quite a big one, I would say. Um, the point is, there's still a lot of rich content in the Good Girls Revolt universe, and I hope they do the original storyline where Nora Ephron meets Carl Bernstein. Should I keep going with this, or should I? You think this is not a, this is no winner? Um, I, it's very interesting. I don't know what it be, who it benefits exactly, other than Tony Gilroy, for this story to be out there that he basically redid the whole movie. But the even bigger picture is we find ourselves in this weird position where we loved very much the idea of the first version of this because it seemed like what Disney was going to do was make the spine of the tril- new trilogy for everyone and then micro-target these other ones. And this one seemed micro-targeted exactly at people like us who grew up with the original movies but now liked grown-up movies. There's and no the Han Solo one was for anymore because micro-targeting no, exactly. also comes with... Limits your money. It, it, it assumes a limited return on investment. And obviously... Right. The success of Force Awakens, because it, it would actually, you know, we, we, we've quote unquote learned, because who knows how much of it is true and how much of it is spin, but we've learned so much about the production of um, Rogue One, but it actually isn't the first time this has happened. It, you know, anybody who really paid attention to movie blogs two, two or three years ago was aware of the incredible development process that Force Awakens was going through, which included... Uh, Michael Arndt, who wrote Toy Story, I think, and a couple, you know, a, a lot. Of, he was a, he's a little, very, Miss, little Miss Sunshine, and a very well-respected screenwriter. He had a Force Awakens script that J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan essentially took apart. But there was discussion about how the opening shot of Force Awakens was going to be Luke's hand, right, falling from space mm-hmm. into this desert planet, and that Scott Luke Skywalker was going to be a major part of the Force Awakens, and they they wound up, and that was a big. And and if that had not worked out, you know, if Force Awakens had been a disaster, we would have had all this evidence to suggest, you know, well, here's where they went wrong. They went away from Michael Arndt's script. But right now, what, but now what is what happening have. is the 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 obvious thought is there was something wrong with Rogue One, and they had to come have somebody come in and fix it. And if you've seen Gareth Edwards' movie, they're incredible on scale. They're not so strong on character sometimes. At least Godzilla mm-hmm. is it. Monsters is. So... Clearly, that's what Gilroy was brought in to do. The assumption that you're making when you were like the first trailer, and it's an assumption I, I tend to agree with, is that what was pitched as Bridge on the River Quiet in Space has now turned into a, 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 an underdog, like, go get him, Tiger, Rocky story. Which, which, you know, look, Tony Gilroy is is one of, if not the best screenwriters in America. Um, we worship the Bourne movies, I think, Michael Clayton is perfect. I'm thrilled and excited that he get, got to do this. And adding humor and heart to something is generally a good idea, especially when faced with the alternative. But what's interesting to think about is the sort of double-edged sword or, well, or, or I, I'm going to lose my sword metaphor here because saber. we're not in Double Game of Thrones saber. season. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean like, like a Darth Maul kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you mean, okay. It's Sith. Because, because the... Basically, the, the impossible success of Force Awakens didn't just revitalize Star Wars as a brand like it needed to be revitalized. But basically what that said to the people who matter most, which is the Disney, Walt Disney Company shareholders, it didn't just say we have Star Wars all the time now. It said we have this all the time. Yeah, right. And, and that raises the stakes almost impossibly because, you know, I don't think anyone i mean rogue one i don't see how it does the same amount of money just it'll do an impossible amount of money but i don't think it'll do the same amount so it it, there's they become a prisoner of their success in that way i mean a prisoner in the fanciest you know uh caribbean island uh, next to tony gilroy's financial planner um i'm still excited to see the movie i just I, i just think it 
it already feels like a missed opportunity, but maybe the fact that we believed there was an opportunity there proves that we're still sort of naive. Look, so the, let's talk the, before we move on to the things that are cool about it is that by all accounts, reading the junket interviews that Riz Ahmed's character has been expanded exponentially. And he's talked about how his he, character had a different name and basically a different background. And then the reshoots sort of retooled it. Now on one hand that makes it feel a little bit like, do you guys know what you're doing? You know, but on the other hand, it's not because of Night Of. I mean, Night Of is cool, but it wasn't like so popular that the streets were like, Riz Ahmed needs to be co-headlining this movie. It was like, he's a really good actor, and maybe this character could can, be a lot cooler if Tony Gilroy like beefed up the part a little bit, or can, whoever can beefed I, up the part. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What if it's just that the plans for the Death Star have to be smuggled out in small capsules that he has to swallow? <laughs> And they were like, that dude's epiglottis is malleable. Yeah. Let's give him more to do slash swallow. Yeah. Like, I think that's possible. What was um, the, what was before we move on to say? Black Mirror. Yeah. Before we move on to Black Mirror. Um, and I do think we're going to find a time to, even if it's just a quick pod in the during the holidays to talk about seeing the movie. Just let, let's just do like the five things, even though we haven't planned for the, the, that specific number. What are you most excited about in this movie? What are you or, or most curious about seeing? Uh, all the I don't think that in a lot of ways we've had a one, one of the things I didn't like about Force Awakens was and this is kind of just an issue I have with Abrams anyway, is he doesn't do set pieces particularly well. I don't think I think he does a lot of setup mm -hmm. really well. And I think he creates really interesting mystery box elements to the plot. But when it comes to actually uh shooting like a widescreen huge set piece i don't i don't really he's not my favorite i didn't particularly think he was good at in star trek or in or in force awakens gareth edwards is for sure you know that guy understands scale so i'm very much looking forward to uh the the combat sequences in this movie and and, and any 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 tie fighters versus you know x-wings that they want to throw at me i'm I'll, I'll be willing to see so definitely the action sequences I'm, I'm very excited for. It's interesting you say that because my interest is almost the opposite, even though I expect there to be good action sequences, and I probably, probably will be disappointed in this. But I really like process. And what I mean is I am, at this point in my life, I'm the guy who sees, even looks at the original Star Wars trilogy, and there's the part where they're all gathered around the, like, the like Westworld schematic table with Mon Mothma, and they're planning the attack. And I'm like, where'd this table come from? Yeah. Who's she? <laughs> what are they doing while they're dancing with Ewoks? Yeah. And any movie, and The Force Awakens and these major trilogies, they don't have time for that because we're with the hero. We're on the Joseph Campbell heroic journey with these people. But there are still, you know, there's still bureaucrats in a revolution. There are still people who are like, like even when they walk, like when Poe Dameron walked past all the X-Wings, which everyone got excited about, me included, there's always those dudes like polishing the windshields of the X-Wings. And I'm like, what's up with them? Like, what's their job like? Are they you the say bat that, boys of space? You we did have three prequel movies about that. No, we had three movies, three prequel movies about Muppets collecting taxes. That's not <laughs> the same thing. All I'm saying is I want to know more about the interesting people in those worlds. I'm not saying we need David Simon's season two, The Wire, the docs version of Tatooine. <laughs> I'm just saying like this movie even in the broad strokes, the things that probably haven't changed about it are about the a functioning revolution in between its biggest victories and failures. And any mo anything we get about that to me is interesting because these are not characters. Obviously, there's the Jinn Asso, like Campbell 
thing going to happen with her dad and she gets swept into it. But she's at least doing something else. You know what I mean? It's, it's as if A New Hope began with Han Solo as the main character already doing the shit that he's doing, yes. not a farm boy on in the desert. And I'm psyched about that. Right. Yeah. And I, 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 I know that there is going to be a lot of origin story in here, but I hope that it's, they spend more time, try, more time trying to break into and out of the Death Star and less time it, on like what my dad, why my dad motivated me to do this. And I want, I don't, I wish Darth Vader wasn't in it. I get for the stockholders and shareholders why. I don't care. Is. Why, but, why, can, why do can, you not want him to be in it? It just, I mean, because he just, you don't need it. It felt like gilding the lily, putting him in, in a trailer that already had the word Star Wars on it. But to, here's something that I want you to do, though, before we move on, okay. just to clear out a little space in the lane here. I want you to just give the people, they don't need a reason, just get them hype for having Ben Mendelsohn as the villain here. Because not only because of your deep love of Ben Mendelsohn in such things as Tate Frazier's favorite show, Bloodline, <laughs> but... Also because we often talk about the villain problem. We talked about it with Doctor Strange. You know, like a a, a giant space head caught in a time loop is not really that intriguing. But Ben Mendelsohn in a Gore-Tex space cape is about as good as it gets. Yeah, and I think that it's worth remembering that there's some speculation right now because of some things that that Darth Vader says during A New Hope about the, uh, the Death Star being like a... A, a terrible weapon like he does he's not for it i think he thinks the force can handle everything um i'm really looking forward to seeing you say you don't want to see darth vader i'm actually looking forward to hearing that conversation uh between ben mendelson and darth vader and where mendelson's like now nah, we gotta build this golf ball my man and we <laughs> we gotta we gotta tee off and let the big dog eat i want to see mendelson is just one of our best actors he's so great in bloodline he's so great in the rover he's great in place beneath pines um you know it's he's just one of the best character actors around i'm really glad he gets like such a huge role he does um smoldering better than anybody and when i say smoldering i don't mean like slow burn i mean literally he looks like a cigarette that's been thrown on the side of the road (laughs) and uh he really is gonna add a different element and that you're right we have not had in a lot of these movies probably since heath ledger joker i mean tom hardy as bane was amusing but he wasn't you know, I don't think he's going to be like an iconic villain. We haven't had like a really good villain in one of these movies in a long time. And so I'll be I'm I'm very much anticipating seeing what Mendelssohn can do with the heavy role. It's just interesting because he he's there aren't that many people. I mean, maybe Steve Buscemi who just become typecast as dirtbags. Um, and then it's really great when you get to take those 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 attributes and the talent that makes him so good at being the kind of cigarette that's been thrown on the side of a florida highway and then you put him in the suit and you you let him be regal and secretly a dirtbag i'm very excited about that i just want to ask you really quickly does it does it it all dull your anticipation of the movie to know they're going to succeed ultimately i mean there is a kind of weird like on one hand it's a success story and on the other hand it's a tragedy i think uh does any of the sort of like this is history we know how this works out do, do you think that will have an impact on people's going to see the movie? Judging by the enormous commercial success of <laughs> FX's The Americans, <laughs> period period entertainment set in between major world events to which the end are already known, it doesn't affect it hey, at all. Andy, no, people, if, doesn't bother I, I don't know if you've noticed the last couple of months of the news, but it's mm. the verdict's not in yet. America might not be safe. <laughs> 
That's a really, really good point. <laughs> exactly. The America 2, the Russian Empire Strikes Back, is going to be lit. Um, no, t- t- to your point, I mean, I just think that's an opportunity. You yeah. know, it, it seems like limitation, but for really talented filmmakers and, and writers especially, and a lot of it is going to fall on the writers, and maybe this is something Gilroy had to had to do because Gilroy does that sort of bittersweet... Mel- I mean, think, think about Michael Clayton, which is a movie in which a loser wins, but yeah. at what cost? Right. I mean, he can do that stuff. Um, and, and it's really an opportunity to say, like, here's a little... Here, here's a... This is a parenthetical in time, but people are going to live and die and cha- grow and change within that. I mean, it's all... it's Chris, this is the thing about Hollywood. It's all opportunity, baby. It's all opportunity. We just got to see how they squander it. Uh, let's just take a quick break from our sponsor, and we will come back and talk about Black Mirror, the Shut Up and Dance episode. Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about Books. Are you looking for something nice to celebrate a landmark moment or show appreciation for an everyday gesture? Send a book. A book is a bouquet simplified. Let me explain further. The Books company starts with farm fresh flowers. These babies are chemical free and sourced from eco-friendly, sustainable farms. The flowers arrive days after they're cut compared to nearly three weeks like you're going to get elsewhere. Plus, the prices start at a mere 40 bucks and there's no hidden fees or unnecessary upsells. Register with your email for a free weekday delivery. Right now, listeners can save $15 off. Just go to books.com slash watch. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash watch. We are also brought to you by Sonos, the smart speaker system that streams all your favorite music, radio, or podcasts to any room or every room. I am obviously all in on Sonos. I have three rooms with their speaker system in my house. One person can be in the kitchen listening to NPR. Another can be listening to classical or show tunes in their bedroom. All while I am immersed in, I don't know, rap music while I'm working in my home office. There's also a simple addition that makes all the difference. They have a play pause button that's on the speaker. So unlike other products that have tried to bring wireless sound into the real world, you don't have to pull out your phone or open an app or sort through the menus just to pause what you're listening to. You just walk up to the speaker and hit a button. It's amazing. This simple app brings together all your favorite music services, radio, and podcasts and lets you control everything from songs to volume to rooms. You can even play the same song in every room at once, which is actually quite nice for parties. I don't even know how you would have a party without Sonos. Seriously, how? You shouldn't be allowed to. Add your existing music services or discover something new. Go to Sonos.com right now. We are back. We're talking about Black Mirror. This is episode three, Shut Up and Dance, that we're talking about. We had skipped three to talk about San Junipero by popular demand. That being probably the most, I guess, heartwarming episode of Black Mirror they've ever made. Uh, But we wanted to backtrack and talk about episode three. And I got a surprising text message from Andy after we sort of decided we were going to do this for Thursday. I I had seen it a little while ago, but I got got a thumbs up from the kid. Oh, no, 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 no. You misread the text. (laughs) I, I sent you a I sent you a check mark. Oh, you mean I literally you just knocked sent it out. you I I wanted you to be proud of me because I have been like pleading time poverty and being like I can't watch an hour long television show. I'm too busy. And you were getting, you know, you didn't actually shake your head in disgust. You didn't even text SMH, but I I got the vibe. I would never do so that to you. I, I just wanted to let you know the kid came through. Oh, okay. So took one for the team like a, and, uh, and watched an episode of an acclaimed TV show. You wanted a participation trophy. That wasn't like an I approve of the content. <laughs> I was I was surprised because yeah, I was like, this doesn't no. strike me as, as as Greenwald core. No, I mean, <laughs> he, 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 here here it, it it it's. 
I mean, I didn't hate it. Is it what's the? I don't. I'm not. I'm not reading the trades anymore. Like, is this? Are people out on this episode? I, um, I went into a okay, cold, so which I think is the I best way to come into play a test, Black Mirror with Playtest and San Junipero. Those are the two obvious standout episodes. I don't think that the original. The, the, I don't think Nosedive was people's. Was particularly mm-hmm. well received. Shut up and dance. If I can paraphrase uh, Sean Fennessy, my coworker and friend, and yours, uh, was like that's real Black Mirror. Like that was that was the original the original recipe right there is like this yep. is bad for you and nobody is going to be okay. Um, so briefly, in case you haven't seen uh, this episode, you you should. But uh, the elevator pitch on it is that a kid who's just like seems like a sweet, unassuming, shy kid who goes to school and works in a takeout restaurant uh, in England one day is going to. Uh, enjoy himself with some uh internet photography if you know what i mean he he's gonna steal the plans for the death star <laughs> that, that's what he would have been that's what a I like lot better it. off trying to do that <laughs> um this kid looks at some pornography on the internet it turns out that uh he has downloaded some virus or his sister accidentally downloaded a virus onto his laptop that starts uh photographing him or capturing him on camera and then he is den- then blackmailed into a series of escalating uh insane stunts he, along the way, is partnered with Jerome Flynn? Yes. Jerome Flynn, who we all know and love as Braun from Game of Thrones, who is in a similar predicament, predicament being blackmailed by a faceless internet um, force. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since I saw this. I saw this episode when it first came out uh, in, in order. And this is one of those, I gotta be completely honest, man. It's one of those things that is just not as... And not as a delightful watch after the last couple of weeks, not actually having to do anything with Trump, but just about the way that information is almost poisoning people or the basically Weapon. the way the Internet right. and the way that digital technology is in a lot of ways poisoning people. Or, or it's become weaponized. Yes. I mean, yeah, I, I think that this is a it's an interesting episode of Black Mirror to sort of carve out of the show as a whole because I think it's representative of the things that the show does better than anything else and does brilliantly and also unfortunately representative of some of its worst instincts and ticks. Um, just on a core level, this idea of being spied on and then being blackmailed is so brutal and and portrayed so so efficiently. You know, it's just it's just a remarkable way to take an idea that has crossed everyone's mind and whether they're currently, you know, whether whether in a moment of stealing the Death Star plans or not. Um, And 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 it take I mean, I'll I'll repeat myself. The show takes the idea narratively and weaponizes it to just incredible dramatic effect so that when these events are sort of scaling up and up and up um, when this kid who's brilliantly played, I forget that I forget the name of the actor, but. Uh, and Jerome Flynn, who's just incredible and should be in everything, um, and is so well cast. Yeah, the, there's his a name moment is Alex where Lothar, L-A-W-T-H-E-R. He's, he's terrific. And there's a moment when they're about to, you know, fucking rob a bank where I'm, you, you get that feeling of just giddy, nervous laughing. Like, you can't believe what you're watching. It's su- such a high wire act, and it's so thrilling and horrifying that it's just tremendous. Like Like some other Black Mirror episodes, I think it ultimately collapses under the weight of its own conceit because much like white bear which kind of left me in a similar state where i was just dazzled by what it did and then kind of uh, felt like i had the knees taken out from under me by the one twist too many um the the big twist in this episode since we're talking about it is that the kid isn't 
as nice as we thought. Uh-huh. And the thing that we, you know, and again, it, they're so good at plotting. There's that moment in the beginning of the episode where he's nice to a kid. And, and as that scene happened, I was like, oh, well, this is just TV 101. They give us this moment so we know he's a good guy. But of course, Charlie Brooker is a, you know, acidic satirist. And so that moment actually is to show us that he's, the kid is kind of a monster because the kid is, a, uh, is, is, is pretty into to the little kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he likes to look at. That for me was one twist too many and felt like uh, that's when the show, I feel like it stops uh, pointing things out and starts hectoring us. And I, I think that's an impulse that's hard to avoid in a show like this, but it, it, it disappointed me because so much of the rest of the episode was brilliant. I was reading a director's roundtable today uh, of, of a bunch of the, the a bunch of filmmakers from this year. It was like Oliver Stone and uh, Mira Nair and uh, Damien Chazelle and Denzel Washington and Mel Gibson. They were talking about making their work, and I can't remember. I think it was either Mel Gibson or Oliver Stone who talked, who was quoting Stanley Kubrick to say, uh, "It takes you years to make a movie, and two years and two hours for somebody to write about it." And they were talking about the criticism that they often face. I think it was Stone because he was talking about Snowden. And what you just said about taking Black Mirror and putting it, and sort of almost extracting it from the flow of the series to analyze it, uh, was interesting to me because I think that the inverse of what uh, Stone is talking about for films happens with television where we now mm-hmm. are basically I don't want to say overanalyzing because it makes it sound anti-intellectual but we're basically taking things out of the flow of the way they are being produced and received and putting a lot of weight on top of them now if you're going to make a show like Black Mirror that's about what it's about you got to deal with people kicking the tires on you a little bit but this is just one of those situations where if you watch four hours of black mirror if you watch like the first four or five episodes or the whole season or whatever you know if you just go through and watch it i don't know that shut up and dance holds up under scrutiny but i also don't know that i would necessarily uh punish it or penalize it for doing the things that black mirror always does which is just take these scenarios and continue to push them until it goes past the red and into some shade of purple that we don't even know about. Yeah, I, I appreciate that point of view too, on it. I think that that's also the nature of making making more of them, frankly. I mean, it's such the degree of difficulty on this show is higher than just about any other that I can think of. Um, they basically have to make a finely tuned, finely considered, um, original... I, you know, not just, I mean, I was going to say masterpiece, but it doesn't have to be a masterpiece, but it has to be like this perfectly humming little black box of ideas and intention and execution. And when it works, it's as, it's as good as anything else and totally dazzling. The nature of, of entering, bringing this type of show, this jewel box of a show into more of the American television market is a, you're making more of them, but B that means, and you can look at that one of two ways, you know, it's generally, you get more times up you get more chances at bat, which means you're going to potentially get more hits, but you're also going to strike out. And so we're going to get to see them cover more ideas and take more chances. And they are, there's no way they're all going to hit. Um, I, 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 so I, I guess the thing to say is to take one step back and be like the thing that I, when I do criticize Charlie Brooker, the thing that I sometimes criticize him for is probably the thing that makes him who he is. So it, I, I should probably consider that, which is to say he always, goes for the next idea. Yeah. He always goes for the, the weirder idea. He always reaches past the expected one. And sometimes he reaches too far. That's what I thought about White Bear. And when we talked about White Bear, uh, you know, in the preview of this season of Black Mirror, I, I mentioned an interview where he said that they were on set about to start filming that episode 
when the idea of the final twist occurred to him. Right. And that's cool. That's an exciting way to work. And what a fun brain to be on a ride with. And if I was making TV, I'd be like, yeah, let's, let's just try it, man. But sometimes that bites you in the ass. So I, I just, it, it didn't, the last thing didn't work for me, but the rest of it, I mean, there was a feeling of giddiness in this episode that uh, was, I was not expecting considering the subject matter. And it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty brilliant. Well, let's take a step even further back because one thing I, I you, you don't have to really, we don't have to talk about this that personally if you don't want to, but I was kind of curious about that thing we were talking about in the beginning of this segment about the idea of the context around these episodes sort of changing our interpretation of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that when Black Mirror first came on, whenever that was, 2012, you know, whenever we were first sort of getting into these episodes. Yeah. I was 11, a lot 12. more like just jokes, bruv, just <laughs> just a bit of bits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was I knew and I know that the, that there is a huge dark side to these technological advancements that we were making. But, you know, it was more of a thing that I was watching in a diorama. I wasn't really feeling it. And it's been sort of chilling. The the You can't really say we are living in a Black Mirror episode anymore. And it, no matter what your political leanings are, I think that you have to admit that this has been a pretty surreal couple of months um, and continue to be so. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been really thinking about was what do you do when you do start to come to the, some of the conclusions that these things aren't good for you, that maybe some of these innovations are detrimental to society or are detrimental to people's stability and even your own happiness. I mean, and, and how does that affect a show or appreciation of a show that, that grapples with that? Well, you, you, you do what I do and you quit. Um, but, but you're right to say that. I mean, when we were watching the first few seasons of Black Mirror and I wrote about them for Grandland and I was working at Grandland, we, we were, you know, I was completely inundated in the internet and watched the shows that were cautionary tales with the, with the attitude of, well, you know, it's fun to entertainment is best when it explores the extremes, the extreme possibilities. But I, I, I definitely didn't carry much self-reflection or fear. You know, I, I found things disturbing, but I also kept that scrim of, well, this is entertainment. This is this yeah. is someone whose job it is, is to sort of surf on the bleeding edge of what's possible and what's mortifying. And I no longer feel that way. Um, but, I, you know, just to keep it apart from politics, I also wonder if that's just being a little bit older and also not being in the scrum every day as I was then. But certainly the react, you know, seeing something that you thought you could control or you thought that everyone could control spiral to this point where you know fake russian hacks of fake news may have tipped a u.s presidential election and everything else that happened in the last six months or or the last year you know it's so horrifying to me that i i wash my hands of it i you know i've not been on twitter not even to peak since election night and i don't know when i'm coming back or if i'm coming back because i just i couldn't handle what it was what it was becoming or more more accurately i couldn't handle not knowing what it was or being able to wrap my arms around it it felt a lot more dangerous it felt suddenly this thing that was this you know friendly website with a bird on it that disney room you know apparently wanted to buy felt like the the type of internet that jimmy simpson likes to hang out on in season two of house of cards you know what i mean or the one the one the one the one with the real guinea pig yeah the real the real the real death star plans um, this is I don't know what a, I don't know what a tour is, but this is what I thought it was. And, and I, my response was not unlike the kid in Shut Up and Dance after the video plays 
was to slam the computer shut and just like walk away. Right. And that's and what I walk- think I'm still, a I'm lot still of people are grappling with right now is this because I was thinking about this today, reading some stuff and I was just kind of like, there still is an opt out here. You know what I mean? Like we didn't even have 80 percent of this technology six years ago. I, I mean, 10 years ago. I don't know. Like we weren't really using Twitter that I mean, like nobody really used a lot of this stuff the way they use it. Uh, less than 10 years ago, but because of, I don't know, con, you know, like a kind of collective psychology and this pressure of consumerism and also this need to be connected not to each other, but to like an idea or a, a, a churn of ideas. I think that there is this feeling like you can't possibly leave it alone forever. Even you who have walked away from it for now, acknowledge that you might come back. No, yeah. Yeah. I have to I'll have to come back for for professional reasons or personal reasons or whatever, there's no question. Yeah. They need they need you on that wall. <laughs> you're, the, you're the Colonel <laughs> you, Nathan Jessup you, of Twitter. Um You need me you need me on your Facebook wall, truth. <laughs> you need me like you need me liking this stuff. Uh I think that that's as as uplifting a place as any uh Andy, until Monday with the best music, I will talk to you soon, man. Very, very existentially depressing job, Baranski. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring us today. Sonos is the smart speaker system that streams all your favorite music to any room or every room. Control your music with one simple app and fill your home with pure, immersive sound. One simple app brings together all your favorite music services and lets you control everything from songs to volume to rooms. Play a different song in the living room, bedroom, even bathroom, or the same track in every room and have a party. Add your existing music services or discover something new. Go to Sonos.com. Thanks again to the Books for sponsoring us today. The Books company starts with farm fresh flowers that arrive days after they are cut and the prices start at a mere 40 bucks and there are no hidden fees. Right now, listeners can save $15. Just go to books.com slash watch. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash watch.